basically there was a well-known fact that was called the Arab inequality puzzle. According to all official statistics published by international organizations, inequality levels in Middle Eastern countries was extremely low by international and historical standards. Hi, I'm Clémentine Vanefanter. I'm an assistant professor of economics at the University of Toronto, and this is Inequalitox. We just heard Lydia Aswad. She is a PhD candidate at the Paris School of Economics and a visiting student at Harvard University. She is also a research fellow at the World Inequality Lab, where her work focuses on income and wealth inequality in the Middle East. Her research interests lie at the intersection of political economy, economic history, development economics, and cultural economics. And with her, we are going to explore what is behind this Arab inequality puzzle. Hi, welcome, Lydia. Hi, Clementine. How are you? Good, and you? I'm good, thank you. So I wanted to address the elephant in the room. Uh, you're going to listen to two French women talking in English about economics. So it's basically the ultimate opening of a French new wave movie. Um, but I'm really happy you're here to kickstart this podcast series with me and we're going to talk about your work. So your work received a lot of attention in recent months in the context of these social uprisings in several countries in the Middle East. Uh, why do you think it is particularly important to look at inequality in this region? Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, thanks a lot for the invitation. I'm very happy to talk about it with you today. So the Middle East stands out in many regards. So it's um, a region that's characterized by extreme levels of violence with wars, civil wars, coups, colonization, terrorism. So according to the historian and sociologist Hamid Bozarslan, the region is currently living a, a 50 years war. But it's also a region with a strong resilience of authoritarianism. Despite the Arab Spring, there was a consolidation of existing autocracies. It now witnesses a refugee crisis, etc. So you have those big political turmoils and uh, instability at levels of violence. And a natural question is to understand what's the role of economic inequality when we know that political and economic inequality often go hand in hand. There was a common narrative saying that inequality levels were, were was very low in the region. Basically, like, how did you start working on, on this particular topic? Basically, the starting point of the research was the fact that, according to official statistics and figures, the Middle East was one of the regions with the lowest uh, levels of inequality in the world. So um, to give you an example, like Egypt, the Egypt of Mubarak was uh, supposedly as equal as uh, the uh, Scandinavian countries in the 1980s. So extremely low levels, that seems quite surprising if you uh, go to any country in the region, in Egypt, in Lebanon, etc. So, I mean, I think it's really an important uh, aspect of your work is that uh, it's fascinating the amounts and the number of different data sources that you were able to collect to work on this particular issue. And why is it so important in the context of the Middle East and particularly Lebanon, where you've been working, to collect these different data sources? 
We first collected and referenced all statistics that existed in the region, so survey data, fiscal data, national account, etc. All of them are of extremely low quality. It's extremely difficult to find micro data for survey um, for the existing surveys. There are no fiscal data except for Lebanon. The national accounts are of extremely low quality, so we have aggregate macroeconomic figures that give the total amount of income um, created in the countries, but we don't know how it is shared and disaggregated within the economy. The first task was to basically list all sources that existed and understand their flows and try to combine them in order to reach uh, good conclusions to have an idea of the distribution of income and wealth in the region. And so what did you find when you started looking at, at these particular countries? Like what was the most striking conclusion that you came up with? When we use all the sources I just listed and combine them in a systematic manner, we find that uh, the, the Middle East not, is not at all the most equal region of the world, but actually is one of the most unequal regions of the world. The share of uh, total regional income accruing to the top 10% richest individuals in the region is equal to 64% of the total regional income. So to give you an order of uh, comparison, in Europe, it's 38% going to the 10% richest individual. And in the US, it's 47%. So like the distribution is extremely unequal in the region. So that means that the population of uh, the people that are really at the top of the income distribution, the 10% richest, they have more than half of the total wealth of the country. Is that, is that correct? Exactly. So they have more than half and actually six times more income than the bottom 50% of the region. So the 50% poorest individuals in the Middle East receive less than 10% of the total regional income. So you have a very polarized income distribution uh, with almost nothing accruing to the middle class or the bottom 40% of the distribution. And so, I mean, I guess it's a really big research agenda, but what are the structural factors or the recent changes that you have observed that could potentially explain this extremely high level of inequality in this particular region? We know it's been, you know, the place of a lot of wars and unstable political regimes, but what do you think are the most salient aspects that could explain this uh, very high level of inequality? The first big reason that's actually not at all surprising is basically big inequality between countries. So in the Middle East, you have huge gap of just average income um, between, for example, Gulf countries. Most of their resources come from the exploitation of oil and population-rich countries, such as Egypt, for an example, which has a lot of population, but relatively low uh, average income per capita. So this is sort of a mechanical result. If you pull together countries with a very different average income, you have mechanically uh, high levels of inequality. The first reason basically is due to this unequal distribution of uh, oil ownership between uh, Gulf countries and the rest. Within countries in inequality, we, know, we still know very little. In particular, we know nothing about the dynamics of inequality, so whether inequality increased or decreased recently. So we can only make assumptions. But when we look at the demographic change in the region, first, population increased a lot compared to other regions uh, in the world. You have countries that are extremely, that are more populated. 
Second, you have, of course, uh, the big refugee crisis after the Syrian civil war. So a lot of countries, Lebanon, Turkey, Jordania, that received a high share of refugees that increased their population. And most of them live in extremely difficult situation and, of course, receive a very little share of total income. And finally, another point is the migration, mostly coming from southeastern Asian countries to work in extremely low-skilled sectors, so construction sectors, but mostly domestic work uh, sectors. And this migration is organized by what's called the kafala system, which is an extremely exploitative system, basically like modern slavery. So every migrant worker needs to find a sponsor in the, one of the countries, and those sponsors have uh, almost a total power over those migrant workers. Often they confiscate their passport, uh, they pay them with extremely low uh, wages and regularly can abuse them. That It's been uh, highly uh, documented by human rights association that as particularly for female domestic workers, there was a lot of physical abuse. And of course, those migrant workers that constitute a higher and higher share of the population in those countries, almost 60% of the total population in Gulf countries receives very low share of the total income. So even if we don't exactly observe and know how income is uh, distributed among nationals and those foreign workers, if we make very credible assumption that they almost receive nothing, we actually see that inequality is probably way higher than what we currently observe. And what I think is, is really interesting in your work is the particular focus you have on Lebanon, because there is this kind of general perception that Lebanon is a sort of outlier in the region and that it was doing fairly well, uh, economically speaking. And you seem to be like revisiting or nuancing this, this uh, conception. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, there is a general myth that Lebanon is an extremely successful country in the region. Often, I think, an orientalistic myth, like the idea that Lebanon, which had a lot of connection with Europe, in particular France, is doing well, has relatively higher level of average income, etc. And this is shown, like, for an example, with Beirut, which is a very fancy city, uh, like, a very dynamic. But this actually hides extreme disparities of income. So yes, you have dynamic real estate and banking sectors in Lebanon, which makes it the Switzerland of the Middle East, etc. But it comes at the expense of a really rapidly growing share of population even in extreme poverty. And again, there was a common narrative saying that Lebanon was doing well and it was not that unequal, uh, but that doesn't pass the reality uh, check when we look at the data. So you were really the first one to kind of dig seriously into these fiscal data. Can you tell us how it was in practice? Like how difficult was it to access it? And what are the main challenges when you work on, on a topic like that with such data? Yes, so there are a lot of, <laughs> lot of challenges in general in the region and also for Lebanon. In a way, the country is so unequal that even if all the sources are flawed, I always reach similar conclusions. But basically, the main new data sources was micro-fiscal data shared by the Lebanese Ministry of Finance. And it was a lot of harassment and getting access to those data, sending emails, etc. So that was the, the first part of the work. And this source was pretty amazing, very rare in the region, but in general, because it's 
all the individual declaration of Lebanese taxpayers. But even this source only shows income from, so labor income and only part of capital income. So I don't see a lot of typical incomes that the richest have the most, so dividends, interest, etc. So this source is very fluid. Uh, I also use survey data, but only have tabulated survey data. What do I mean by that is that I don't have the micro data, so individuals saying like the income they have, but only official reports produced by the Statistical Institute of Lebanon saying for different income brackets, the percentage of the population that is in this bracket. So I need to use some interpolation technique to estimate the distribution of income. La minute technique. In this podcast, we try to explain in one minute a technical aspect of their paper. So I wanted to ask you to maybe explain briefly what are these Pareto interpolation techniques and why they're useful to study uh, countries like Lebanon, typically. A good way to understand what are these interpolation techniques is to understand what would be the dream data for a researcher to estimate inequality in a country. So the perfect data one can dream of would be that all individuals in a given society, children, parents, say exactly the amount of income they receive at the end of the year and of the wealth they know. And like this, you can basically rank all individuals from the poorest to the richest, compute the entire income that exists in this country in a given year, and see how it is distributed across individuals and groups. So that would be the perfect data that, of course, doesn't exist. There are no sources that exactly say what are the amount of income that an individual receives, wealth they own, because first there can be mistakes, people can lie, some incomes are evaded, etc. So there is no perfect sources. Another problem is that often the sources are not at the individual level, so we don't have all individuals saying what they receive or have, but we have those tabulation I was talking about. So we know only the percentage of a population in a country that is in a given income bracket. So that's where the Pareto interpolation technique that is very useful. To derive inequality statistics from the tabulated data, we need to make assumption on the shape of the distribution of inequality that is in this society behind those tables. And we know since the work of Pareto, with Fred Pareto at the end of the 19th, that income and wealth distribution in any country is well approximated by a power law that is now called the Pareto law, defined by a coefficient. From all countries and all years for which we have data, we know that those income distributions are well approximated by this statistical law. And by making assumption on the Pareto coefficient that defines this law, we can estimate the, the distribution be, uh, behind those tables. We started uh, the podcast on the social uprisings that took place a couple of months ago and the really deep social and political consequences of these high level of inequality. What do you think are the political responses of your work and like what are the implications of your research and what do you think are the most pressing reforms that should potentially be implemented in this context? Now research has shown like for the Middle East but also for other countries that a progressive income and wealth taxation is a very effective tool to reduce inequality in the country. So, so the first 
clear policy response to those extreme levels of inequality in the region is to improve the progressivity of taxation. And for Middle Eastern countries, there is a very large margin of maneuver. So some countries do not have direct taxation or income taxation. Gulf countries, you don't have those. And in most of the countries in the region, their fiscal systems rely mostly on indirect taxation or consumption taxes. That is, tax on products you consume, which do not depend on the actual level of income you receive. So they are regressive and not progressive. The poorest pay a higher share of their total income than the richest. So changing this would be the biggest and most obvious policy response to that. The second one would be to increase transparency and data collection in uh, those countries. So we need to collect more data. Countries need to make way better national accounts to be able to uh, reduce like, the very blurry line between public and private capital that characterize most countries of the region. This is key to be able to first inform citizens, but also uh, design effective policy answers. But of course, the problem for those two big policy uh, answers is that you need to to have agents of change, people that are willing to implement those uh, reforms. And we know that in the country, because you have uh, ruling families that are here for years and autocratic system, like the political elite has no interest to implement those changes. And that's why we observe today the, the big protests is that like, from the top, it's going to be difficult to have those reforms uh, implemented. You mentioned that it was really crucial to have access to uh, very low-level data at the individual level where we're able to have you know, a full description of how inequality plays out in, in these societies. And um, you also talked about the um, important divide between foreigners and nationals and how gender might play out also in these dimensions. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think is really the next step for research on this particular question and where you think research is going. So on the measurement of inequality, as I was saying, like a lot can still be done. We can always uh, collect and do this type of exercise for more country, more time period where there is data. And in particular on wealth inequality, we know very little. In the Middle East, like uh, we barely know uh, anything on it. But then I think an interesting next step would be first to understand more the historical roots of inequality. So basically how certain political economy system emerge at the benefit of certain groups and at the expense of others, how they can persist and create huge inequality, like uh, what are the historical institution that can explain such extreme level of inequality in the Middle East. Today, we, we don't know a lot about it. And more generally about the political economy of inequality, I think we still know very little on what specificities of a given economic systems enables such an equal outcome, where at which step uh, rents are extracted, by which group, how the elites can receive such high level of incomes at the expense of the majority, um, and how mostly it can persist. Why uh, do we live in such a system? We still know very little about this. 
Okay, so before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you about if you have any particular recommendation in terms of a book or movies or anything that really affected, changed your perspective on economic inequality that you would like to share with our listeners. A book that really affected me was the comic by uh, Joe Sacco, Palestine, an occupied nation that uh, was published in the 90s and, and I read when I was uh, still uh, young and it's sadly still relevant today. Like basically describe the history of the Israel-Palestinian conflict, uh, the description of society and life in the West Bank and Gaza, in refugees camp and in the occupied territory. And it's how basically I got familiarized with one of the biggest injustice in the region and manifestation of inequality. And that's why it pushed me to study history, political economy of the region. Like uh, it was one entrance to understand like the, this conflict. But for a most recent reference, there is a movie by a Lebanese director, Nadine Labaki, Kafarnaum, which uh, basically described the life of two kids in the Lebanese cities. Uh, so I, I don't say more because it's really about the description of the life of the two um, kids, uh, but it provides, of course, an extremely harsh, but also very moving uh, picture of extreme poverty. And, uh, and this cannot leave you insensitive to, to the topic of extreme inequality in, uh, in the region. Well, thank you so much for your time and for these really enlightening elements. <laughs> Thanks to you for inviting me. This was Inequality Talks, a podcast recorded by Clémentine Vanefonter in Toronto. Music is by The Count. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.